So I, I made a really conscious effort to not listen to the famous people who had the big giant mm. churches and the big giant book deals. Not because I believe that every single one of them was inherently wrong, but I was just skeptical. It's okay to sit in church while the pastor is preaching and have your Bible open and compare what he's saying the passage says to what it actually says. And over the last 10 years, I saw a lot of things uh, in church, in my own kids, in uh, friends and family that just caused me to ask a lot more questions about mm. where, where is the evangelical church going in America? Hey, everybody, I want to welcome you again to the Before You Quit podcast, where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard, and man, does it get hard sometimes. My name is Mitch Schultz, and I'm your host for the Before You Quit podcast, and also the director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry. Hey, we, we've talked a lot in these podcasts about things that are hard on a pastor, uh, hard on the ministry leader. We've covered a lot of different subjects from the pressures in family, uh, how to deal with difficult people. We've talked about loss. We've talked about uh, uh, conflict and, and how, to, uh, how to navigate through that. Um, but, but probably the pressure that is, can be the heaviest on a pastor is uh, the pressure to remain constant, to remain focused and centered on the gospel when there's a lot of uh, shifting taking place in doctrine today and in teaching and uh, the pressure to preach maybe in what is popular or maybe to uh, water down the gospel, to not emphasize uh, you know, sin and the essential doctrines of Scripture— uh, but what the pastor believes really matters. Um, what his congregation believes really matters. Theology matters. Doctrine matters. And spiritual discernment is necessary today more than ever. Uh, it's, it's vital in the pastor's commitment to stand for the gospel and to stand against false beliefs. We're told in Scripture that towards the last, last days there will be a, uh, a plethora of, uh, of different kinds of teachings, and really the goal, as Paul talks about in Timothy, First Timothy a lot, is to see people drift away from Christ. So how does uh, he, the pastor, remain faithful to the gospel when compromise and accommodation are the norm today? Uh, we're going to talk today with our guest, Stephen Kozar. He's uh, an unlikely voice for discernment. He's not a pastor. He's not a theologian. Uh, he loves he loves the church though, and he loves the Word of God. And some of you will recognize Kozar as a regular member of the Pirate Gang on the popular Fighting for the Faith podcast. And I'm going to go ahead and, and jump right ahead here uh, with this interview and let Steve introduce himself and talk about what he does and why and how he unintentionally found himself serving the church in the way he does. And by the way, this is a follow up to our previous interview with Dr. Brian Shelton on the pastor and theological anxiety. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump into that right now. Okay, this is a part two to conversation we had a couple weeks ago with uh, Professor Brian Shelton from Toccoa Falls College, where we talked about uh, pastors struggling with theological anxiety. And uh, I'm arguing that uh, one of the pressures pastors face and our, our vision before you quit is, is trying to give pastors perspective and courage when serving gets hard. And one of the things that's hard today for pastors is uh, just the, the pressure they're under uh, with uh, trends today, doctrinal trends and theological trends. Uh, I have a guest here today, Stephen Kozar. 
Uh, we've known each other for a year only by phone. This is the first time I'm actually looking at him in the screen, and he looks like he, like he sounds. Uh, his face <laughs> matches his voice. Uh, Steve, so good to have you uh, in this conversation today. Thanks, Mitch. Glad to be here. Hey, on the surface, you're the most unlikely person to be uh, in a conversation about uh, discern discernment, spiritual discernment. Uh, tell us what you do for a living, and how did you fall into this? Okay, well, I'm a painter for a living, an artist. I'm a fine artist, meaning I sell paintings that sell in a gallery as opposed to a more of a commercial artist or an illustrator. And um, it, it really is, in a, in a lot of ways, unrelated to my, uh, my writing and blogging and podcasting and stuff. Uh, but I'm 54. I grew up as an evangelical Christian. And over the last 10 years, I saw a lot of things uh, in church in my own kids in uh, friends and family that just caused me to ask a lot more questions about mm. where where is the evangelical church going in America and uh, what are the origins of its beliefs and you know where do I fit into all this what do I really believe what does the Bible really teach um, I had uh, some kind of uh, you know there are things that shake you to your core and mm -hmm. Not to go into too much detail, but my son, who is now 27, he got married very young to a Christian girl. They were uh, doing all the right things as far as we expect our kids to do. Uh, went to Christian schools, grew up in youth group, got married, had a baby, and then she divorced him. Mm. And wow. we're, um, we're on pretty good terms with her now as far as you know being friendly and having worked through a lot of the mm -hmm. difficulties. but. At the time, it was one of those things that caused me to say, how is this possible? I thought we were mm -hmm. different. I thought that Christians, you know, had um, something to show for their beliefs. And without going into, you know, a whole podcast about my story, I went on a kind of a theological journey just uh, because I'm an artist. I have a lot of time to listen mm -hmm. to podcasts and to, and to, you know, lectures, sermons, and I just started asking. And you're you're questions. probably by nature someone that that focuses on details. You're committed to to the very know, much the detail of things too, right? Well, and in fact, what's interesting even about that idea is that even though that is my nature, I feel like as a typical kind of middle of the road evangelical, I was I was being subtly moved towards the idea that it doesn't really matter what you believe very much mm, as long as you mm. try hard, as long as you keep showing up on Sunday morning and, you know, as long as you're a team player at whatever church you go to, all of those. Sin sincere in what you do. If you're sincere, if you feel it in your heart, all those kind of cliche things that really I'm finding go back to a more pietistic understanding of Christianity and theology doesn't matter. And I, over the last three or four, well, five or six years, really became much more interested in theology and history of the church. And of course, those two things are very closely linked. I became much more interested in what does it mean to even be a Protestant? What did the Protestant Reformation accomplish? And I found that I didn't really know very much about it. Even though I think for my entire adult life, I would have considered myself uh, a little bit more educated than most typical Christians, I had to come to the conclusion that whatever that meant, it really didn't mean much because I still didn't know very much at all. I didn't know what the difference was between Luther and Calvin. And, you know, I didn't know the difference between a Baptist and a Methodist or a Lutheran or a Presbyterian. I really thought all that stuff wasn't important. And now I find it absolutely fascinating. 
and I'm, and I'm uh, I think, largely driven by the desire to help other people think through the same issues that I've thought through. Yeah, and you've had a platform. In fact, the the reason I know you is I listened to a podcast by Chris Rosebro uh, called "Fighting for the Faith," and you are uh, a regular contributor to that. You and Amy Spreeman are uh, are often interviewed. Um, so, so again, you you this was personal to you, and you you started to again. What I love about this is that you are not a pastor, you're not in ministry, but you took seriously. Uh, the gospel and wanted to know the truth. Right. And uh, what, what was the, the, the hinge moment for you where it took you, you know, to this direction where you became involved with, you know, discernment ministries? You know, actually, I wouldn't say there was one moment, but there was one thought, and I, and I say this to people all the time, and it's basically this. If you are going with the consensus, if you think the truth itself is determined by a consensus, Mm -hmm. then you're really not an Orthodox Christian because Christianity believes the truth is derived from God's word. Mm -hmm. And I found that if you talk to 50 different Christians who said they all were Bible-believing Christians, they had 50 different ideas as to what that meant. Mm. And not only did they have different ideas about what that meant, they were pretty comfortable with that. Like, well, that's normal. It's just like, Mm -hmm. you know, personal preferences. And if you take that idea to its logical conclusion, you wind up becoming basically sort of a postmodernist. And you say that, you know, we don't know anything for sure, except that, you know, we feel something in our heart maybe. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, we're trying really hard and we love Jesus and we're going out into the community and doing good deeds. Um, so I, I made a really conscious effort to not listen to the famous people who had the big giant mm-hmm. churches and the big giant book deals. Not because I believe that every single one of them was inherently wrong, but I was just skeptical. And so I found guys like Chris Roseboro who were not making hardly any money at all, mm-hmm. or, or maybe making literally no money at all. They were just doing something because they really wanted to, and they were trying really hard to teach what Scripture taught. So I found the White Horse Inn. I found uh, Issues, etc. I found uh, Bob DeWay's ministry called Critical Issues Commentary. I found Chris's show, Fighting for the Faith. And I listened to a lot of those guys, and... Um, I appreciated the fact that they were not making money. They weren't famous, but their teaching was a lot more rigorous than I was used to. And I liked that. I was just looking for somebody to tell me the truth. And um, so for me, part of that process was saying, I'm not going to go with the group anymore. If if the group, if if 99 out of 100 Christians all believe something is true, that doesn't mean it actually is true. Just yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the the scriptures make it very clear, and we'll talk about this in a few minutes. That uh, towards the end times, there will be this uh, you know plethora plethora of different beliefs, and and the church will be drawn to all sorts of of different ideas, and uh, that's that's what we're promised that we're going to be facing uh, as right. a church. Yeah, this has been, uh, you know, an interesting journey for me too. Uh, you know, I pastored for 30 some years and I would say about 10 years ago, I, I, I don't think I changed that much. Uh, my, what, my view changed. I, I began to see things happening around me, even within my own denomination. Um, in fact, I, I shared with you that this is a risky podcast for me. In fact, drawing attention to it makes it even more risky <laughs> that, uh, you know, I'm, 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 you know, kind of picking at things that even the, the, the group that I'm with, I, I have concerns over. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I started observing that, um, you know, we were, we were drifting away from the, the centrality of the gospel and mm-hmm. the centrality of Christ and 
And uh, the you know someone has said uh, I I forget who it was that you know we we most pastors believe wholeheartedly. In fact, you might have been one that said this, or Chris that we we believe wholeheartedly in the inerrancy of Scripture, but not the sufficiency of Scripture. Yeah, uh, yeah. and that there's more is needed. Yeah, that's a big uh, distinction that I I didn't understand until more recently. But yeah, everybody, uh, this is. There, there's almost like a, a two sides to an, um, an issue. One side is I see that the American culture in general, not just Christians, but American culture in general, has a groupthink mentality that is a, a, a real concern of mine. And the other side of it is that within the evangelical world, there is a groupthink mentality that's uh, it's very similar. They kind of are running parallel to each other. So in the yeah. in the American culture, you um, you have the situation with um, how um, the idea of a marketing company exists to convince the American public using what they know about psychology to cause people to want to buy a certain brand of product because mm-hmm. that's what their job is. The idea of a, of a marketing company is to basically brainwash, for lack of a more subtle word, mm-hmm. to get people to just think about certain things so that they'll buy certain things. Um, that that sort of has seeped into the church world, and mm. Um, mm. Th- what do we what do we believe as Christians? One thing that is at the very core is that God has spoken to us. God has revealed Himself to us in His Word. And I kept going back to that, thinking, well, if that's true, why do we have all this other stuff? Why are we so familiar with catchphrase catchphrases and cliches mm-hmm. that may or may not be true, but they're not in the Bible? But I. I found myself as a Christian hearing catchphrases and everybody just assuming that it was true, you know, and like, well, can you, can you give some examples of, of those? Like, um, um, uh, deeds, not creeds. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's a catchphrase. It also is a, a, a pretty substantial theological framework mm-hmm. that nobody sees it as such. They don't think that that's really a theological framework. They just think it's a nice idea, but it really does. It's like the top of a pyramid of a whole bunch of ideas. Yeah. So doctrine doesn't matter more. You're serving, you're you're doing good things in the name of Christ. Yeah. I want to pause for just a moment and remind you that you can go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating for this, if you'd be so kind to do that. I'll take a four. Uh, a three might need a little explanation, so if you do that, let me know why. <laughs> uh, but whatever way you can to help promote this. And, and also, if you could leave a review on iTunes, we'd really appreciate this. Uh, Daryl writes this. He says, this podcast is refreshing in its candor. He's talking about the podcast site. Mitch, the host, is honest in his sharing, and each of the guests he invites seem to have the same commitment. If you are in ministry or contemplating ministry or care about someone in ministry, you should listen in. You'll find authentic people sharing real life as they continue to serve the true God. Thanks, Daryl, for your affirmation of this ministry. Now let's go back to the interview with Stephen Kozar. Well, let, let's get into the heart of this a little bit more. What, what okay. concerns you the most as you, you look across the landscape of the church today? Wow. Uh, I, I mean, I, I definitely want to have a heartfelt faith. You know, I would, in my understanding of the, the Protestant Reformation, 
the confessional Lutheran movement in the 1500s really didn't do what it had hoped to do for a number of different reasons. Uh, mm-hmm. One of them being that the church-state uh, unity was, a, was not a good thing, that people were born into the church. They were baptized as infants because of the town they lived in, and mm-hmm. that was a bad thing. So confessional Christianity, in other words, your emphasis was on what you believed, not the results of what you believed. Uh, that's a that's a real simple simplification of it. But mm-hmm. what came out of that in the 1600s was the Pietist movement that said it's not so important what your confession is or your doctrine. It's important that you have a heartfelt faith and you have this mm. uh, desire to go out and do good things. And you know what? We need both of those things. And everybody pretty much agrees with that. But I see in American evangelical culture, we don't really have any doctrine uh, under the surface. And if we think it's there, I, I don't even think we're aware of how shallow it is. In other words, I, mm. I see American evangelicalism, and I say this because I experienced it. You know, I went through my entire adult life as a fairly serious evangelical Christian, thinking that I knew enough about my doctrine that it was good enough. And what I didn't know was that I didn't know anything. In other words, <laughs> you know, if you mm-hmm. don't know what you don't know, it's really hard to get over that hump because you're actually kind of happy with what you know, thinking that it's enough. So I, I, um, I like, for, for instance, I, I'm a confessional Lutheran today because I sifted through theological frameworks, theological denominational ideas, and I kind of weighed them against each other. Mm-hmm. And I came down on the side of confessional Lutheranism. And in that process, I feel much more able to talk to a Reformed Baptist or a Presbyterian uh, or a Methodist because I understand their background as well. And I think it would be uh, a million times more healthy for American culture. And the same thing goes true for um, I have a much uh, greater understanding of the origins of the Pentecostal movement than I did, you know, 10 years ago. And having more theology has not made me a harsher person who, um, you know, has this angry, I'm right and everyone else is wrong. Mm-hmm. What it actually has done is helped me to, to more openly talk to people who think a little bit differently than I do. Mm-hmm. And I, I wish that there was that um, element to evangelicalism in America, that we were really well informed about our own beliefs, our own confessional beliefs, our own doctrine. And we also knew what, our, our brothers and sisters who had completely different doctrinal beliefs believed so that we could honestly say to each other, I love you, you're my brother, but here's where I think you're wrong. Here's what I think the Bible yeah. is saying on this issue. And, and I love you enough to, to actually argue a bit, not because I'm mad at you or, you know, because I'm mm-hmm. you know, trying to protect my turf per se, but because I think it's so important that we really try to dig down to what does the Bible really teach on this matter or that matter. Yeah, you know, a common thing that we hear today is, you know, doctrine doesn't matter as long as you love Jesus. Uh, what, Which what is a doctrinal concern- statement. That's a doctrinal <laughs> statement. Yeah, I was going to ask you, what concerns you about that? First of all, the inconsistency of that. Well, it's, it's not only inconsistent. To me, it's actually a thought-stopping device. Hmm. When you say that to somebody, there are all these assumptions that are below the surface that are... Um, kind of masking the fact that you just uh, are, were being kind of told to accept a doctrinal position without being told to accept a doctrinal position. And so that, and I don't think people are doing that on purpose, obviously. I think it's just sure, a really sure. flawed way of kind of using our brains and using the minds that God has given us. So 
I, I would I would say, um, well, what does it mean to love Jesus? What does the word love mean? And 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 honestly, what is Jesus? Who is Jesus? You have to have a form that of takes Christology. you to doctrine, of course. Yes, yeah, yeah. And you know, and I'm I am not in any way at all an expert on this stuff. You know, I I lean on people who have studied this to a much greater extent than I have. I I heard Michael Horton talking about this a year or two ago. And that, and that very issue, he said, as soon as you say, you know, the, the most important thing is that you love Jesus. Now you're talking about Christology, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. what is your doctrine of Jesus? Yeah. You know, and everybody, well, I just, I just, you know, I think he's loved. And I just think this. I, as soon as you start using the word just, you know that you're yeah. probably making some sort of a mm-hmm. compromise because it, it, it isn't just this or just that. It, it actually can't be. And if everything is sort of true, then nothing is actually true. It's a, it's a form of relativism that's creeped into American evangelical theology. Yeah, and what, what, I, what I long for is for people to be questioning, uh, you know, what they hear and to compare it to the Bible. And uh, I, think, uh, I think too often there's the assumption, well, we're hearing it from a, a pastor or professional, therefore it must be true. Yep. And you're, you're an example of someone who, who kind of departed from that path and sought this stuff out yourself and yeah and, and, I would, uh, and I would clarify that by saying that I was a really dedicated church going guy. I, I mm. went to to one church for uh I think it was 12, 13, 14 years. We went to a different church for about the same time. So I had a had about a 30 year period where I just I went to two different churches. And then I went to a different church. Long story I won't get into it. The pastor from that church left after only a year there was a, a interim time where there was no pastors so there was people taking turns and a new guy came in who was hired because he was so different from the guy who left mm. well it turns out he had kind of a vague reformed understanding of christianity he was a big tim keller fan and he kept quoting tim keller who i knew nothing about i really wasn't familiar with reformed theology and some of it really bothered me but it, it bothered me because I actually didn't even know what it was he was talking about. So I, um, I had to confront the fact that even though this stuff bothers me, I don't know enough to really mm. argue against it one way or the other. Cause honestly, I've never looked into this stuff. And that, mm-hmm. that was part of the process that made me say, um, number one, it's, it's okay to sit in church while the pastor is preaching and have your Bible open and compare what he's saying the passage says to what it actually says. And, and another kind of element in the equation for me was that I've always been the guy who was in the, the worship team. So I, I, I love playing music. I played the guitar and the bass and the drums. So I was almost every At Sunday. the same time, that's phenomenal, <laughs> Steve. <laughs> that would be really good. But no, I, I, I always, I loved playing on the worship team. So I was mm-hmm. always at church. And if a church had two services, I was there for both. And I had time to hear the sermon twice and to kind of think mm. through it a little bit more than the average person in, in many cases. And, and when I started just listening to the sermon kind of with a more skeptical, critical ear and looking at the passage that the guy just quoted and then comparing it to the, you know, what does he say this mm. one sentence means compared to how does that one sentence fit within the entire couple of paragraphs? I was shocked at, at, at times to see that he was the pastor was making a point that he wanted to make, and he was just pulling whatever verse he needed to pull to make it appear to to justify val- his point. Yeah, yeah, to validate whatever he was saying. And you know, I'm, 
are these people bad? Obviously not. They, that's, that's, that's as much as they know. Uh, I, I came to see that pastors didn't really know as much as they appeared to know. And the pastors mm-hmm. that did the, the best in terms of having quote unquote success were the ones that spoke with confidence. Did they actually have a, a solid theological grasp of the issue? Eh, maybe, maybe not. didn't matter. Mm-hmm. The only thing that matters is that they sounded like they did, mm-hmm. which really bothered me. And, and the pastors that had the most success, quote-unquote success, I got the little bunny ears going. Here's <laughs> I see that, us. yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, basically, if the, if the guy can get more people to show up the – the next Sunday than the week before, that's considered successful. And how does he do that? He sounds like he's got some, you know, uh, confidence in what he's saying. And, of course, you can do that with any theological framework. You can do that as a charismatic or with whatever else. Yeah, I was, I was saying we, we make it possible by showing up. Uh, you know, it, it's, it, it's the argument of, you know, people criticize, let's say, NBA players for making so much money. Uh, well, we we show up and watch them play. We pay the tickets, and if people are showing up in 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 droves to a church to hear a guy uh, because he's appealing, he looks good, sounds good, uh, that's almost empowering someone to continue doing what they're mm-hmm. doing without ne- necessarily needing to be theologically solid. And um, yeah, I, I love what you say. One of the takeaways here is is to you know let people. Uh, encourage people to be okay uh, with being uh, kind of skeptical with what they're hearing, right? Uh, and that's because a, that's a tough issue because it 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 um, it can be taken too far really quickly where you are now, you know, right, uh, right. You're, you're just self-appointed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But but I, I don't think that's the problem most of the time. I think the problem mm-hmm. is the opposite, and that is yeah. That yeah. Most people go in there just assuming. And again, I think this goes back to it's an American cultural thing. The guy who's uh, in front of the TV camera telling you whatever it is that's going on must be an expert. Why? Well, he's on TV. He's on TV. Yeah. yeah. Again, because people are paying money to put him on TV. They're right. showing up at church to listen to him. You know, we're propping him up. This is a really fundamental issue that is not just a church thing, but it, it certainly is a, a serious concern in the church. But I think it's an American cultural thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and at the risk of uh, this sounding like a gripe session over, you know, the, the condition of the church today, again, my, my purpose in doing this is I, I know that pastors, again, my vision of my podcast is to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard. And one of the hard things for pastors today is this tension between— right. Uh, what people want from him and his knowing deep inside that his primary commitment is to the Word of God and, and teaching soundly the Word of God. Um, so what, what, uh, what role does a pastor have in, in making sure his people don't get sucked into what is popular uh, or maybe even to what is not true? You know, the previous podcast, we, I talked with Dr. Brian Shelton about the book The Shack and the movie, for example, which has been extremely popular because it— uh, it, it touches on people's, you know, felt need uh, for a God that they envision or would like uh, to, to envision. Um, but we, you know, what, what's the role of the pastor in, in really, really equipping his people to be solid and discerning themselves? I don't want just pastors to be discerning. We don't want to delegate this to the professionals. We want to see more people like you uh, who are questioning things and, and even challenging the system. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting question too because I'm uh, my personality type is such that I 
take things much further than the bulk of the population just because I'm interested in something. Mm -hmm. I I always, whatever it is I'm interested in, I I don't want to know just a little bit about it. I want to dig deeper and deeper. I want to know more and more and more. So I go into research. Mm -hmm. You become rather obnoxious then you're saying. Well, (laughs) potentially, (laughs) yes. And, And so on one hand, I would love it for more Christians to be more discerning, to be a little bit more skeptical in a healthy way, you know, mm-hmm. to say, oh, does the Bible really teach that? Or is that just what I've been told? You know, I, I think that's a healthy thing. Um, but I don't expect people to be like me. I would like them to just veer a little bit more towards the side of a healthy skepticism. And I think mm. um, that is something that I don't have a, a really clear answer on. How does that, how does that take place? Cause again, it goes back to, it's a, it's a, part of American culture. It's a part of American Christian culture. And I think pastors are really up against the wall in many regards because they, they have um, people in their churches who really just don't care that much. And, and, and too often, I think a pastor looks at his congregation and sees people who are just saying, I'm, I'm going to put in the least amount of effort. So just give me the bottom line. Let's keep it simple. Mm. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. You know, just give me a, 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 a glossed the, the over cliff, version of yeah things. give give me the cliff notes of the gospel the notes. yeah and so i think in many times in many cases there there may be a pastor who's, who really would love to go into more detail and he realizes that his congregation isn't really there yet so that that's an issue that i'm i'm well aware of and you know part of my answer to your question about this is that i going to a confessional lutheran church i'm part of the wisconsin evangelical lutheran synod which is the smallest of the big three synods and it's also the most conservative the most confessional and that's a generalization i'm sorry i don't mean mm-hmm. to offend anybody but that is you know that's what everybody gen- generally agrees about even if you're in the missouri synod of the elca you would say yeah the wells is the one that kind of mm-hmm. sticks to itself more they're more exclusive they're they're more um biblical and more confessional but the thing that i like about our synod is that it is not in every church in every case, but in, in general, it's a much more liturgical church. And I see the role of liturgy as defining the pastor much more clearly than a lot of other churches where the pastor mm. is, is spinning all these plates. The pastor is expected to be this great counselor and this great scholar and this great um, communicator who can tell jokes and, and, and he can pull at your heartstrings. And it's just too much. Mm-hmm. And and within he, my an entertainer, he, he, he's got to feels the pressure being an entertainer. Yep. Yeah, yeah. He's got to. He's, he's like a politician. He's got to try to please everybody. And I like the fact that in a liturgical uh, structure, he is given much more narrow parameters so that he can focus on just those things that he's been given to do, and not all these other things. So mm-hmm. that would be part of my answer. And of course, if you're not going to a liturgical church, you're looking at me saying, "Well, that doesn't help me." I'm not like. I'm well, sorry. That, that's that's part of my answer. Well, but what but what if he's he's deeply burdened for, uh, you know? Keep keep in mind that you know people come to church and your your one sermon of many perhaps that people are are listening to that week. Uh, you know, I I was conscious back when I was preaching regularly that uh, you know I was up against uh, a lot of big names. You know, celebrity pastors or even solid people that uh, were on the radio, you know, Chuck Swindoll and, and people yeah. like that. Um, but here's a guy who wants to do his part. You know, he believes strongly that he's been called to preach, and uh, but he knows the folks that are out there being pulled in, in all sorts of different directions, 
being liturgical is not an option for him. Uh, where, where does he start? What does he do? I would say um, he needs to have a greater trust in the efficacy of God's word, which is a... I love that. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's, a, it's an old-fashioned term, but the American evangelical church is so pragmatic and it's mm-hmm. so dependent upon getting the numbers up every week that it's a, it's a, it's a crushing pressure to most pastors because every time they think about what they should preach on, I don't, I don't think it's easy for them to just say, well, whatever, this is what I believe I should preach on because it's what God's word says. I think they mm-hmm. always have that pressure of, yeah, but I can't quite go, to that extent, because if I do, you know, somebody's going to get mad at me, and we're going to lose some people. All that stuff. That that's a really serious issue. That I yeah, that, that you are exact. That is a uh, you are exact. You penned it. That's exactly the kind of pressure that I was under when I was pastoring. Yeah, that's spot on. And I, you know, um, I think part of the answer to that goes back to if you have a solid theological framework for what it is you believe. And of course, again, I go back to my synod. My pastor was trained extensively. He has the equivalent of a PhD. Mm-hmm. So by the time he started pastoring, he had gone through uh, a million different uh, theoretical discussions about what it is you believe and how would you answer this question or that question. So his training, uh, I think, was extremely helpful. And I, I was so impressed with his ability to answer every question my wife and mm-hmm. I threw at him when we first showed up a couple of years ago. Mm. I was like, wow, I, I'm not used to this. I'm used to yeah. pastors... Um, kind of uh, being honest and saying, ah, gee, I don't know. I never thought about yeah. that. And, and so uh, I, I have a lot of sympathy for pastors who are so anxious to preach and so anxious to do what they believe is God's work and God's will that they are thrust into a pastoral position and then they find out, I don't really have as much theological training as I thought I did. Yeah. And they're being told to be a counselor more often than not. They're not told to be a theologian. They're told to solve people's problems. And the greater they are at attracting a crowd, and um, I saw this in that brief time where I was in that church that had a couple of pastors come and go. Because he was good at giving a sermon and he sounded confident, as soon as the service ended, there was a line of people standing up at the front Mm -hmm. waiting to talk to him. They didn't Mm -hmm. want to talk to anybody else. They wanted to talk to him. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a... um, it's kind of a circular problem. You know, people go to this church wanting to hear the guy who, who has the, the, the confident sounding sermon, who really sounds like he knows what he's talking about. He's the guy with the answers. And then of course people go up to him and they want him to solve all their problems. Mm-hmm. Now he's stuck because he, he really can't solve all their problems. He's, he's, yeah. and it's not totally his fault. It's not totally the congregation's fault. I think the, the whole system is too uh, focused on the role of the pastor and it has, not enough focus on what yeah. God's word can do. Yeah, um, so. again, this was this was the nature of the conversation with with Dr. Shelton and in, in the previous podcast. Uh, yeah, I, you know, one of the encouragements here to leaders within the church is is to really give your pastor adequate time and resources to study the Word of God, to start Absolutely. study theology, uh, and to put that at the at the high mark of his responsibility that his primary. Uh, role is yeah. is to preach the word, you know, and and uh, to and to say, I would really like it if the pastor would do X, Y, and Z, but I realize that he can't do everything, mm-hmm. and he has to have a good relationship with his wife and kids, and we got to give him time for that. We have to give him time for mm-hmm. that, and he needs time to study God's word. So, 
I, I think it would be really helpful for a lot of pastors to know that their congregation said, we love you. We're going to give you space to do what the, the, the few things that require all of your time and energy or, or almost mm-hmm. all of your time and energy. Yeah, and giving time to be with family is and and a day off is really a way of saying we want you to be healthy so that you can bring the word to us uh, yeah. regularly because uh, that yeah. that is that is our our commitment to you because your commitment is to the word of God and to yeah. preaching that word. And I was going to say I'm on my church council now, and um, more than once in our church council meetings, which we have every month. <laughs> Somebody has brought up, usually one of the elders has brought up that we want to make sure our pastor is rested because he's so committed. He's, and it, the church is just a mile down the road from me, and I drive past it every day running errands and stuff. And I see his vehicle there in the morning, <laughs> I see it there in the middle of the day, and I see it there at the end of the day. And I, I know he's putting lots of hours in. Yeah. I used to do that too, but I take the bus home just to give the impression that I was working at church. <laughs> I'm kidding. I never did that. <laughs> you know, you, you were talking earlier about uh, the pressure to be an entertainer. Um, I, I learned a real, you know, harsh lesson on this. We, we served in England for seven years. I was pastor of an evangelical independent church there. My first Sunday that I was, I was to preach at that church, um, I had a great joke planned. Uh, because again, that's what we do to break the ice, to right. get people to feel comfortable with us. And as I walked out of the pulpit, I just decided not to give the joke. And afterwards, a lady came up to me. She said, you're the first American who's ever preached to us who didn't start out with a joke. Interesting. And, uh, and that taught me something that these people, huh. they just, they just want to hear the word of God. They don't want to be entertained. They don't need you to be funny. You yeah. know, just, just, you know, to rephrase Bill Clinton's uh, phrase or uh, someone that worked for him is, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, what was that again? It's the economy stupid. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, it's the gospel <laughs> stupid. That's it. That's oh, all we want to hear. It's the gospel. <laughs> you know, and even, even what you just said, I, I so appreciate because if you think about it, I think it's possible that you could be quote unquote successful by telling that joke and mm-hmm. by entertaining people. But what you're successful in is bringing people in for all the wrong reasons in many cases. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's exceptions to everything. But you can, uh, and this goes back to American evangelical pragmatism. We got to get the numbers up. You know, mm-hmm. nothing matters if there are new people coming in. Well, that's kind of an oversimplification of things. Do you really trust that God is sovereign? Do you really trust that God is in charge of bringing mm. people unto himself? If that's true, then why, why do you feel the need to tell jokes all the time? Yeah. Now, if that's yeah. your nature and you sincerely want to throw in a, a clever comment every once in a while, that's fine. Uh, obviously, I don't expect the pastor to be you know, 100% boring. But I, one of the things that I like about uh, my, my synod and my pastor in particular is that they are trained to de-emphasize their own personalities not to uh, overemphasize their own personalities because the role of the pastor is seen as an interchangeable thing, that all the pastors are trained to do essentially the same things. And as soon as you become known as the guy that's really good at this, that, or the other thing, you know, mm-hmm. I'm the pastor that blah, 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 whatever it is, fill in the blank. Now you've elevated yourself and you've, you've altered that kind of generic role that you've been given. And uh, I, in fact, I remember going to, um, I have an uncle who passed away about six or eight years ago, and he, uh, his funeral was in a Lutheran church. And I remember at the time really loving the words that were spoken, 
but I was bothered by the fact that this Lutheran pastor did not use more emotion. Mm. I was like, man, that was really good. You know, he was mm. really, he, he said some things about, you know, Jesus and resurrection and, and heaven, but he didn't emphasize, he didn't, he didn't make the point clear enough or he didn't emphasize it with enough emotion. And it took me a couple of years after that to realize that, oh, that was me being a very typical evangelical yeah, who yeah. is totally immersed in revivalism. If something isn't told with great emotion and it isn't emphasized over and over again, we think it's done wrong. And again, that goes back to, well, I guess we don't really trust the efficacy of God's word. We don't trust it just speaking the truth with clarity and not necessarily, you know, trying to give it a brand new spin and make it, you know, cool or hip or modern or whatever. Just speaking the truth directly out of God's word as much as possible. We, yeah, we and yeah, I'm thinking I'm thinking of the Apostle Paul when he in in Second Corinthians two, um, where he he didn't come with fancy eloquent words, but he came, you know, just to to simply preach Christ and preach the cross. Um, I I think yeah, it, it, one of the things that comes to my mind as we're talking about this is is for the pastor, and this takes pressure off him as to is for him to go to the pulpit and say, I'm going to give them what God wants, not, yes. not what they want, you know? Exactly. And, and yeah, and I, I agree. You don't want your pastor to be boring. I mean, passion is important. Humor has a role. Um, I'm terrible at, I tried to joke uh, a couple weeks ago, I'm serving as an interim pastor right now in a small church and it fell fat flat. <laughs> and, you know, they, they laugh at me over that and that it becomes funny. It becomes a good talking point, but um, but, but the, yeah, the, your primary response, and again, the purpose here is to uh, refocus, to realign and, and hopefully, you know, pastors are listening to this is that, yeah, I felt the pressure from people to be, uh, what I'm not called to do. And, uh, and I, my commitment I'm making here is to get back to the word, to get back to preaching Christ and him yeah. crucified as Paul was committed to do. And to um, just trust and just to say, I'm, I'm going to let the chips fall where yeah, they yeah. Yeah, and if and that, people leave, if people leave because, and I'm still preaching the gospel, I'd rather have people leave because I'm preaching. Well, I don't know. I don't want anybody to leave, but um, right. I'd rather them leave because they're offended by the gospel than mm-hmm. because I, you know, didn't shake their hand after church or wasn't passionate or funny enough. Uh, but again, well, you know, this I, is this is what pastors are up against. I I totally get that, and I also think that when a pastor just simply explains the gospel message, and he does it over and over again. And I would even clarify that more by saying law and gospel. You mm-hmm. know, I love that Lutheran perspective that we, we preach the law so that people are aware of their sin, and we always preach the gospel right alongside of it. So that yeah. once they're aware of their sin, they're also be, they're being made aware of their forgiveness in Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, when the pastor can explain the gospel in a simple way without being overly fancy, I think it gives courage to the parishioner to say, oh, I could do that. There wasn't much to mm. that, mm. you know, but when he's the guy that's doing it so eloquently and with such flair, I think what happens is he, he is in a subtle way telling his parishioners, you can't do what I'm doing. So mm. you keep showing up on Sunday morning and you keep bringing people here and they can listen to me and they can hear me do that thing I do where I'm so good. And you become mm. a center of attention. It just, it just happens. It, it can't not happen. If the pastor is so good at it, Mm-hmm. he's setting a bad example and it, yeah. again it, it works for a while it kind of is successful quote unquote but i don't think it's successful in all the right yeah. way well I, I yeah i love that emphasis and again 
you know, reminding the pastor that that pressure does not need to be on him. Let yeah. let let Christ take that responsibility of 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 changing people. You just do what you're called to do, and and that's to preach. Um, hey, how does uh, you know the First Timothy four one through five? I'll just read a, a couple lines from this. Just ask you how you feel, uh, how you see this happening today, where. Uh, you know, Paul says, preach the word in season, out of season, uh, rebuke, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming will people, when people will not endure sound teaching, but have it, itching ears. And this is interesting. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Oh, I love that verse. I mean, I, I actually have, not the whole thing, but I have part of that at the top of my blog. It's at the, mm-hmm. at the Messed Up Church blog. I have that at the very top because that's what I see happening. And the more I've studied church history, the more I have become aware that that's not exclusive to American culture in the year 2018. It's, it's been going on for most yeah, yeah. church history. And I think it's really interesting how it says that people will accumulate for themselves mm-hmm. teachers who will, you know, tickle their itching ears, so to speak. Um, how does that happen? I think it's it's happening uh, on the part of a pastor who wants to draw too much attention to himself, who loves himself a little too much. He's a little too proud of his abilities to mm-hmm. to command an audience. And and the other side of the coin is the 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 person who says you know, I want to go to a church where I just really enjoy what the pastor does. I want to feel good mm-hmm. about myself when I leave. I want to have a happy feeling. I want to be entertained. I want to get, you know, practical advice that I can apply to my everyday life. All these things are happening on, on both sides of the coin. It's, it's uh, certainly the problem of both sides. Uh, and I, I say this from the standpoint of the guy who was sitting in the pew mm-hmm. repeating a lot of those same cliches. You know, why, why is that pastor not more exciting? Why does you know, why can't he do this, that, or the other thing? And I never really thought deeply enough about what is the role of the pastor and, mm-hmm. and what should the pastor be doing. And uh, I had pastors who were just as guilty on, on their side of the coin. You know, they were, <clears throat> like, I, I remember this guy just finding whatever the latest best-selling book was, leadership book, and creating a whole sermon series that had nothing to do with Scripture. Mm-hmm. He pulled a few Bible verses out of context to try to fit it into this leadership book. This was like 10, 15 years ago. And I don't even know what the book was he was referring to, but it was a title of a sermon series. And it wasn't until a few years later that I found out that that, that wasn't something he invented. That was something he borrowed from a leadership book from a yeah. non-Christian. Yeah. I, just, I, I have to say that is pathetic. Mm-hmm. That, that is really shameful because mm-hmm. I, I think what a pastor is doing there is he's just pandering. That's all it is. Yeah. And you're, you're saying oh, he's getting away with it. He's getting he's away, getting with, away it with it. But the, the, but then he has no right to complain about the low quality of the thought life of his parishioners <laughs> because you're saying I'm, I'm going for the bottom of the barrel. I want to, I want to get the people who are thinking at the most shallow level to show up on Sunday morning and enjoy whatever it is that I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm exaggerating a bit, but I, I think, um, you get what you, uh, you know, the kind of the level that you're at, you know. So if you're, if you're preaching at a level that's kind of pandering to people, you're going to get people who want to be pandered to. Yeah. And I, I think it's really healthy for us, in both pastors and the, the person sitting in the pew, it's really healthy for all of us to say, why are we pandering to each other? Why can't we mm-hmm. just be honest? 
You know, why can't we just admit that we're sinners in need of God's grace, every single one of us, and we're all struggling, we're all messed up, we've all got issues, and thankfully, Christ died for each and every and, one of us. And that's the most refreshing thing to hear, you know, I, uh, I, yeah, one, I don't know how much I did this before, I think not as much as I should have, but I, I love every Sunday reminding people that we're forgiven sinners. There's just something beautiful in saying those words, you know, and really and seeing people just relax and, uh, you know, sometimes you, you say that and you see people just taking a deep sigh. And so, oh, I've been trying all week to try to deal with my own struggles, my own sins. And I come to church and I'm being reminded, wow, he paid the penalty for yeah. that. And, I, yeah. and he's forgiven me. And I, you know, I can, I can go into this new week refreshed and renewed, you know, that exactly. again, I think that's the most beautiful thing, beautiful message that a pastor can give to his people is, uh, hey, you're a sinner. But Jesus did something about it. You know, Amen. again, law, long gospel, long, long grace. Gospel. Hey, you you wrote an article um, called uh, again on your your uh, messed up. Um, what's what's the title of the blog again? The messed up church. Messed oh, up church. Yeah. Messed up yeah. church. And we'll put a link for that in the in the website. Uh, the title of this was confirmation bias: uh, Why you are protecting mm. your false beliefs. And in this, you you correctly drew out. I thought it was a fascinating point that people are are drawn more emotionally to their church than they are likely to weigh out the church's theological strength and commitment. Uh, right. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, confirmation bias was something I discovered in all of this researching that I did, and I've since found out that a lot of people are referring to it. And it's just the idea that you will accept whatever information confirms your pre-existing beliefs, and you will reject anything that comes into your mind that goes against your pre-existing ideas. Mm. And so uh, if, you, if you grew up with a certain theological bent, let's say you grew up as a charismatic, well, you want to listen to charismatic preachers and read charismatic books and all that stuff. And it, it, it's fine if you've really tested all that stuff and you're absolutely convinced that it's biblical, but that's not what's happening most of the time. Mm. And it, it goes for everybody. I'm not saying yeah. charismatic sure. unique sure. at all. Um, and even to the extent of... Um, we are influenced, especially in our uh, childhood, early adulthood. A lot of people became Christians at a youth group or going to a youth event, maybe in college. And those are fundamental times of our development, our cognitive development. Mm -hmm. our, our thought life is developed to a very large extent when we're young. And it's really hard to break out of that. And I'm always trying to think of ways to help people just think, are you exhibiting confirmation bias right now? Are you mad at me because I'm presenting evidence that goes against your pre-existing mm -hmm. ideas? And if so, maybe instead of being mad at me or whoever, mad at this, this idea, maybe you should check it against scripture mm -hmm. first and just be honest, you know, and I, I've done the same thing. I've changed a lot of my beliefs because I believe that my yeah I, yeah, I, I have as well. Again, I pastored 30 plus years and I probably would not do well in my ordination exam right now, you know, because I, I have fundamentally shifted in, in some, some of those areas. Uh, but exactly for that reason, you know, that this is what I was raised with and, and, uh, and assumed. Um, well, that, that's really good. Hey, um, related to that, you know, discernment uh, has become a, a you know popular uh, category uh, to describe people who are who are testing the faith. You know uh, there there are groups that are forming and right. uh, like yourselves, like Chris Roseborough, fighting for the faith, and a number of others. 
and and for some people it's a you know it's a dirty word it's it, yeah. you know they're they're you're lobbed uh, into a group of being you know uh, being judgmental and mm-hmm. of course they're using discernment to judge you so it, it kind of shoots itself in the foot uh, but there's a there's an interesting cartoon I think you might have seen this where there's uh, looks like a, a sheep dog with a little puppy dog and the sheepdog says, hey, Pop, how come the sheep don't like us? And the sheepdog says, well, because we remind them that wolves do exist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, so sheep are mad at discerners. I mean, what, what's, your, what's your reaction to that? How do you, you, know, how do you encourage a, people to see the value of, of this? That's a really good question, and it's a, it's a pretty big topic. I, I read a paper that's available online from C.F.W. Walther, the great uh, – he was a he was a Missouri Synod pastor, theologian, writer in the 1800s, and he wrote a paper called "The Sheep Judge Their Shepherd," hmm. and you can find it online. It's been reposted a number of times. I don't know exactly when he wrote it, but I think it was in the the mid to late 1800s. And he he uh, was one of the persons who gave me permission as an individual Christian to say I don't necessarily have to believe everything a pastor says. Hmm. And it's, again, not because I, I dislike the man in any personal way. It's not because he offended me personally, but, but because I think his theology is not as biblical as it should be. Mm-hmm. And um, when we talk about this idea of being a discernment minister, I wrote, I started writing a blog called The Messed Up Church, just a, one of those simple free blogs. And I shared some articles with Chris Rosebro, and he really liked them. He started sharing them on his Facebook page, and all of a sudden, I was getting thousands and thousands of hits out of the blue. Mm-hmm. And then about a year later, he rebuilt his website and asked me if I would join my blog permanently to his. And I would, mm-hmm. you know, basically he, he offered to share his much, much larger audience with me on a full-time basis. And I thought, wow, this is, this is great. This is quite a privilege. And it's a little um, intimidating because it, it <laughs> kind of caused me to say, you know, what do, I, what do I have to say of value? Am I really on target here? And I've tried really, really hard to get people's attention but to also be accurate. And I, mm-hmm. my biggest problem with, with uh, discernment ministries online is that anybody can say anything. And the more outlandish it yeah. is and the more inflammatory it is, the more hits you might get. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not in favor of that. And I'm, I feel really uncomfortable about this category of discernment blogging in general, because I think honestly, most of it is off. Mm-hmm. And, you could have a guy who says five really good things that need to be said, and he has 20 other things that are w- way out of whack. And, you know, you, you see this um, end times uh, crazy fervor, you know, uh, how many earthquakes happened last month as opposed to the month before, and who's the Antichrist, mm. and uh, I think the Pope is the Antichrist. No, I think it's this other guy in Jordan. No, I think it's a, all, this, all this crazy stuff about um, – the end times and about uh, looking for signs uh, kind of get lumped together with discernment ministry. And mm. I, and I don't do that. I, I really don't want to do that. I want to write articles that cause people to question their preexisting ideas and it, it pushes them towards a more careful consideration of what mm-hmm. it is they believe. And that's a tricky balancing act because at times it sounds like I'm just, a, you know, the, the angry guy who's, you know, maybe, um, just generating this kind of yeah thing. well in in truth it's because you care and you love people and you want them to know the truth and, and warn them if, if they aren't you know, what, and you know what mitch to be honest i am asking myself 
on a, on a regular basis, why am I doing this? Do mm. I really care this much or do I want to get attention for myself? Because mm. I'm just trying to be honest. Everybody wants yeah. to get attention for themselves. And if you have some kind of a ability to get attention for yourselves, it mm. feels good at, at, at first. And so I'm, I'm always trying to push that aspect of my personality off to the side. And I'm trying to remove my personal, you know, desire to have people read my articles. I, I would, I would, there are days when I say, I don't want to do this anymore. I mm-hmm. want somebody to step into my place and to do a better job than I am, who can be more balanced than I am and who can explain it better than I can. And, and I may find myself somewhere down the road completely pulling out of it because I found somebody that can do it better than me. But yeah. so right yeah. now, I was so frustrated by my experience going through various churches and not getting straight answers. And I started this little blog just to kind of vent some of the ideas I had and to share other people's articles. And then Chris picked it up. And now I find myself right in the middle of all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm now battling some really big names. And um, there are days when I like it because I feel like finally I have a mm-hmm. voice. I'm glad mm-hmm. that I have a, a voice. I'm glad that I can fight this battle. And then there are other days where I say, <laughs> this is stupid. Why am I doing yeah. this? Yeah. I'm a successful artist. I, I want to go back to listening to jazz mm-hmm. music and, and working on my painting all day long and not getting involved anymore because it's it's actually a lot of... It doesn't fight back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It doesn't fight back. And I've, yeah. got a, I've got a great pastor. I've got a great church. I'm, mm-hmm. I've got plenty to do there. I don't I don't have to do this discernment stuff. But yeah. Well, as long as you're aware of your own vulnerability and tendencies there, I, I think you're, you're, you're fine. I think we all wrestle with this, uh, you know, this, this fleshly battle for attention. But if right. we're, if we're constantly aware of that, you know, that self-awareness is so important. And really I mean, is. just to, again, to affirm you and what you're doing, you, you've, uh, you and Chris and Amy and others have had a, uh, you know, recent impact in my life. And I, I'm, I'm trying to balance my own involvement with this because I'm, the more I'm in this, the more I see, the more I want to scream yeah. and yell, even with family members who I'm, I'm seeing are being kind of drawn into this. Uh, and this is why a couple of times in this podcast, and I'll mention it here before we, we wrap up, that my, my main purpose here is the pastor. Uh, my vested interest here is his health. And, um, and the, the, the outcome from this conversation hopefully is just to release him from that, that pressure to have to be everything to everybody. Uh, but, uh, the simplicity of preaching the gospel, uh, reminding people that they're sinners who've been forgiven by Christ, yeah. uh, is his main calling. And I think he, if he recommits himself to that, he'll relax. It'll probably make him even healthier because he, he can, he can just shrug off those expectations that are maybe placed on by others and, and uh, and mainly do what he does for Christ and not for others, and he'll be a lot more effective uh, for others as well. Uh, so, well, any um, yeah, th- Steve, thank you so much. This has been a, an awesome conversation. Uh, any final comments, thoughts that you have before we? Yeah, uh, we I love wrap what up? you just said. I, I think that your emphasis. Thank you. Uh, that makes me feel very affirmed. <laughs> <laughs> it, and I'm aware I, of it. <laughs> There are days when I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm mad at pastors as a category in general because mm. of some of the things that I've seen. Uh, but, you know, almost immediately after that anger, I also have to admit that it's not all their fault. It's, it's mm-hmm. everybody has a role to play and uh, there's a lot of bad things that have seeped in. And I, I would encourage people, pastors and everybody else to be willing to peel back the layers of your beliefs and really get to the core of things and be willing to reconsider some of your 
again, your pre-existing ideas yeah. that you have yeah. maybe held on to all this time when in fact those ideas aren't as biblical as you think they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's always something that we can, you know, if we're really Protestants who believe in sola scriptura and then we believe that the, the Bible is actually sufficient, mm-hmm. we should be comfortable with saying, well, I'm just going to go with, with what God's word says yeah. Yeah. And, and, and leave it at that. And, you know, I think it's even more uh, helpful to, have this eternity in mind sort of mindset that says, no matter how good you may be, Pastor, at doing whatever whatever is, whatever it is you're doing right now as a pastor, you're going to be dead, and no one's going to remember your name a hundred years from now. That's true <laughs> for all of us. Yeah. <laughs> and I say that as an artist who makes paintings that are, you know, maybe going to be known way after I'm gone. But even that, mm. I, I, it doesn't really do much for me. Yeah. So we can live kind of in this uh, peace knowing that Christ has died for our sins and this life is not all there is. Mm-hmm. And we have the, we have the, uh, the, the hope of eternity as, as our priority in life. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a great way to wrap it up and sum it up. And uh, uh, Steve, thank you so much. I, I really, I really appreciate the time that you gave to this and uh, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll have more conversations, maybe kind of build off this. Uh, but sure. again, thank you. Thank you so Thanks, much. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. And if you have any comments or questions about anything we've talked about today or on any of the other episodes, please email me at mitch at beforeyouquit.us. I want to encourage you also to go to our website, www.beforeyouquit.us, and there are, I think, 18 podcast episodes now up and running for you to listen to. Great interviews. Uh, exciting topics. You can also read blogs that have been written there. I'd encourage you to read my latest blog, kind of a lighthearted, humorous uh, narration about a recent uh, wedding that I did, kind of a little bit of a mishap that happened there. Uh, So yeah, go ahead and check us out there. So until next week, stay encouraged and be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all that hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And so until next time, stay encouraged. Stay encouraged.